0: This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow. Yeah. Oh. Testing. I'm liking that one. Uh. Right, none of that.
1: Hello, speaking at normal volume. Meow at if.
0: Hello and welcome to the final episode in our current ICAF series where we've been talking to people who we came across, met or otherwise heard about as a result of attending the ICAF festival in Rotterdam in spring. Now we weren't the only people there documenting it. We'll Will uh, I'm going to say your name wrong now. Will, Will asked me to practice it, and I was practicing it. And in practicing it, I've got it wrong. Isn't it always the way? Will Weigler is that correct? Will?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Okay, uh, I'm here tonight with Will Weigler, and he is a community engaged theatre maker, a writer, and a storyteller, and he's based in Vancouver in Canada, and he was invited by the people at ICAF, the people organising ICAF, to serve as a rapporteur for this year's festival. And in his notes on the website, the ICAF website, which we will link to in the show notes for this podcast, uh, Will says that it's the responsibility of a rapporteur to be witness to the events at a gathering and to tell the story of what happened, both for those who were there and for those who were not. A rapporteur listens, watches, and asks questions. And I suppose my first question, Will, would be, how on earth did you find yourself living and working in Vancouver, Canada, being the rapporteur for the return of ICAF in Rotterdam?
1: (laughs) That's a wonderful question, thank you. Uh, It goes back to 15 years ago when I was working on my PhD at the University of Victoria in Canada. I found Eugène Van Erven's book, Community Theater, Global Perspectives, randomly on the library shelf, opened it. I think I I stood there in the aisle for the first few chapters and then found a chair, read it cover to cover, become an absolute fanboy. And I wrote to him, telling him what I loved about his book and asking if he might submit a story for my doctoral research, which he very generously did. And then in November of 2011, which was six months after the 2011 ICAF, Eugene came to Canada, to my university, to give a talk. And I um, asked the organizers if I could be his chauffeur, his guide around the city. So we got a chance to meet and talk. And that's when he said I should come to the next one. So I was there at the 2014 ICAF and the 2017 and everybody treated me like I was a family member from the very first. And and I should say that that's the thing about ICAF for me. It really is a family. I go to academic theater conferences, even though I don't work at a university. I'm a freelance community artist. I go there to sell my books because I write books about devising, and I sell them in the little vendors booths. And uh, so I know those folks. I really enjoy them, but it's qualitatively different than ICAF that just feels like you are among siblings and cousins and aunties and uncles and grandparents. There's there's a, a feeling like no other sort of conference I've seen. And so there I was. Well, I'd,
0: I'd certainly share that feeling because uh, I think when Sophie and I went, we were very easily taken in, as it were, But taken into the fold and found ourselves following along and having experiences and meeting people. And it was certainly a very, very friendly and welcoming environment. When When I say I was surprised by it, I don't mean I'm surprised that people are friendly, but I'm surprised that they were that friendly. And there was, as you say, that kind of almost family atmosphere about the place.
1: And I, I uh, attribute it to Eugène setting the tone and bringing people like Jasmina and Anna Maria and Amy on board who follow in that track. They they, they set the, the culture of the place and then everybody joins in in that same spirit.
0: Yeah. So what we, were you actually doing then at ICAF? Because I, I kept seeing you. And you kept seeing me, and we kept seeing Sophie. We were all kind of dodging around, doing different, going, attending different events, trying to get to talk to different people, trying to make uh, arrangements to talk to different people later. So I never quite got a full picture of what you were up to at ICAF. Right. Could you tell us a little about how you approached the process of being
1: the rapporteur? And what kind of things you got up to at ICANN? Well, I should clarify that um, I had not heard that term until I emigrated to Canada in 2005. I came here from the U.S. And uh, this is this marvelous little encompassing tour uh, term. In my understanding, a reporter sort of reports on the facts, the who, where, why, and what. A blogger shares their opinions about what's going on and their insights. A rapporteur... Which literally means to bring back a repertor goes someplace and then brings back for the people who were there or who weren't. what was going on at this place, mixing together the events that happened, but also their uh, take on it. And this has always been my interest as a theater artist. I'm looking at putting a name to what's going on here? What's the how do we make sense of this? And so, I position myself. I said, I'm not some kind of omniscient see all know all. I'm a white middle class North American guy. And so I see things through that filter. But I also can draw on my experience of community arts, which I've been doing since the early 1980s. And so finding metaphors to help make sense of things is kind of what I do. And that was my job. So that every day I would take my notebook, go to as many Uh, events and performances, conversations, take loads of notes, I'd stay through the first part of the after party, take the underground back to my hotel and get home at about 1130 at night, I would take out my phone and I would dictate to myself all the notes and this way that sort of the computer magically types it up for you, send myself the email, put it into a Word doc, set my alarm for 3am and close the laptop, I'd sleep till 3 the alarm would go off, I'd wake up, and I'd write until seven in the morning, close the laptop, sleep for another hour, then I'd get up, get ready, off to the next morning, where I'd start all over again and post it once I got there after I reread it on the subway in. That was my job, to find ways to help people make sense, to contextualize all these things that are so diverse and so such a multiplicity of work. Does that help make sense?
0: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So what things did you see that particularly struck you? Before, I, before you answer that, I'll just explain both to you and the listeners who Sophie and I talked to. I mean, you, you probably know that. The listeners probably know that. But I just want to say it again. We had a, 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 small, a small series of these podcasts. And we started with a kind of general chat about what we felt about the festival. At the very end, recorded on the last day while we were still there. Yes. And Then we talked to Ed Carroll and Vita about the Cabbage Field yes. community opera, which I thought was an extraordinary piece of work. Yes, did I. And then after that, we spoke with Kerry Schaefer yes. about her presentations at uh, ICAF. And I know both of those featured in your blog entries. Yes. And then I also interviewed Bonface Betty. Yes about his workshop, Music is at the Heart of African Creativity. And then I talked to Charlie Fox, who is working on the Marseille River Project. Yes. Uh, with the Les Collectifs de Gamar. And there we were talking about the relationship between human and non-human, and what happens if you treat the river as a kind of non-player character, a non-human character in the story of, of your project. And Sophie talked to uh, Kohui Ling from Drama Box, who, again, I know you spoke to. Mm -hmm. And finally, I talked with Kim Wide, who's the founder of Take Apart in Plymouth in the UK. Yes. So those are the people that we've talked to. And I know some of them overlap with the people you focused on in your blogs. But who else is there? What else did you see that's not in that list that you thought was well worth
1: drawing attention to? Well, there's maybe a difficult question. It it is a difficult question. And there were certainly overlaps. I met Carrie the first time and we've stayed in touch because um, as I've described how my interest is in putting names to something to help make sense of it. Well, that's what documentation is all about. And this is Carrie's focus. And so we've had um, some engaging conversations about the questions you spoke with her on. What does it mean to document? Why document? What are the purpose? What's our intention? What's our measure of success? And um, that came up. Uh, one of my blogs, uh, uh, number three was called, I had a headline for each one. And number three was called The Stories We Tell. And it focused, again, giving a lens to talk to a lot of different events that happened that day through the lens of telling our stories and what that means. I Carrie talked about Andrew Garrison's documentary about Alison Orr's work trash dance and i pointed out that it's a it's a it's a wonderful documentary and it's artfully constructed it is a curated story and the difference between that and simply recording the events with no comment there's just there's different ways to think about how do we and why do we document work and the importance of it so to thinking about can I just think about Trash Dance? Yes. That was a project
0: in which some re- genuine refuse workers worked with a dancer, a, th- a divisor, and produced a dance that was based around or drew upon the working routine. Yes, sanitation workers. Yes, sanitation workers, yes. How does that fit in with the kind of work that was also on display there?
1: Yes. Well, one of the things that I, because I was there at the premiere of it in 2017, one of the things that I noticed is that as people filtered out into the lobby afterwards, there were many of us with tears welling in our eyes. Because although I don't, I think it's safe to say that none of us have been working with sanitation workers. We saw through that documentary in the, in the details and the specificity of her work, we saw resonating with the with the with the work that we do, what does it mean to uh, come in as an outsider to a group and find ways to honorably enter in, not as son sort of a uh, a circus, you know, um, maestro who comes into a town, but to actually meet people where they are, saying, "This is what I have to offer. Would you like to join this? Would you like to be part of this in something that we make together?" And finding rejection, finally interest generating hope, dealing with big things like a storm that may be coming in. So we, we see in the specifics of her work, metaphorically or, or analogously, rather, all, all the things that we deal with. And in the end of the film, she is triumphant in it. And it was an affirmation for us to see our work. No, I, under- I understand. So for
0: you, the importance of that is in large part to do with the way in which it is a practical embodiment of a of a wider tendency, a, a practical example of a, of a, a an attempt that a kind of work that everybody in the room is making, and everyone can be feel solidarity with the people who have actually brought it off.
1: Well, is that fair? it is, and it's interesting because another thing that happened that morning was uh, one of the workers at the Rotterdam Vix um, Theater. Catherine Kokek, I think that's how she says her name, read a little passage uh, from a book talking about a moment in Homer's Odyssey. And I know the passage right off the bat. I just smiled because I've heard this before in relation to community arts. In the story, Odysseus has survived one more shipwreck. He's washed ashore on the land of the Phaeacians, and he doesn't tell them who he is he's welcomed into court and at the meal this blind storyteller entertains the group by singing the stories of the hero Odysseus and so here he is in the corner nobody knows who he is and he starts to weep because for Odysseus he's just been living his life this is what he does and to have somebody tell his story and hear his story as an adventure allows him to see himself in a sort of a new way and and That's described as a connected to community arts. By creating art around this work, we become sort of uh, the trash, uh, you know, sanitation workers see the slog that they do as art. Uh, They may not be willing to admit it at first, but afterwards they say, yes, we are artists. And so that's part of the work of community arts is not just putting on a show, but sort of changing how we think about ourselves. Does that make sense? It does. And I also would say
0: that in a very real sense, that is a part of the function of ICANN. Yes. Not just for, not for the sanitation workers, but for all the other community artists who can see their own work, their own questions, their own attempts to answer questions uh, embodied in the work that's being put put on in the festival. Absolutely. So it, again, it validates them and enables them to see their practice
1: as an adventure, as part of an ongoing, a much bigger story. I'd also like to think that when you have a name to what you're doing, and you can sort of see what you're doing in context, you can do it more elegantly, um, more effectively, rather than sort of operating from your heart. And one of the things, I, I love words and word play, and etymology. And so that's one of the things I think that the folks at ICAF um, recognized about me, Uh, one of the reasons that they brought me on. Um, On on my fourth blog, I addressed this idea of the sound of change. It's a wonderful theme, but what is it actually, how does it relate to the multiplicity of work? So what I'd love to do is just read you the little passages that I wrote about that. yes please please how the sound of change well sound in English has very different meanings so as a verb sound means to make known let us sound the alarm as an adjective sound means free from injury or disease she's in good health of sound mind and body as an adjective sound can also mean well thought out Their reasoning is sound. As an adverb, it can mean thoroughly and completely. The children are all sound asleep. And when used as a noun, a sound is a body of water that serves as a place in which other bodies of water come together. In Western Canada, the waters of several small inlets flow into forward inlet where they all converge at Quatsino Sound before they meet the Pacific Ocean. So within each of those things, we could see how depending on the kind of work we do, the sound of change means very different things. And yet it's all, it all coheres. So it's lightweight. And, you know, I put a lot of lighthearted things in uh, talking about beat ba- uh, the, the beat basket and uh, how they embodied what it means to have people from different places actually uh, playing with each other, acknowledging each other, listening, adding, and contributing, what I would call waging peace. And that they didn't talk about it, they demonstrated it. And so I quoted St. Francis of Assisi, who said, always preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. So those little lighthearted things, yes. Perhaps you could explain
0: a little about that, because that performance is one that I didn't get to see, and I think it's one that our listeners won't necessarily be familiar with. So perhaps you could just take us through the the idea of the basketball drumming, as it were. Right,
1: well, Basket Beats uh, is a music project from Barcelona, and they teamed with young people and young and youth workers in Rotterdam. Um, to create this performance. Uh, So they're on stage bouncing basketballs, and we saw them as they sort of uh, segued from this conflict-based sort of basketball game where you're trying to beat the other team to this uh, give and take, enjoying each other, kind of basketball off. And that one group would establish this base 4-4 four, four beat, and then the others would come in in syncopation to that. And so it really required them to be listening to the other people, finding places where they could let the other go and show their stuff, and then they would jump in with theirs at the right time, and it was a back and forth. And so it wasn't talking about you know, intercultural engagement, you actually saw it and you felt it. I was towards the front of the show, so I got to feel a pounding in my chest, uh, which was pretty exciting. They had lyrics as well that worked in and it ultimately um, ended up with um, a a, a sort of uh, um, a, a cry, rallying cry, let rhythm be our anthem. So very specific. This was their skill. This is what they did. And in it, they embodied so much of what it means to have those from different places being, you know, working together and, uh, and and existing and creating something that none of them could do on their own.
0: I have to say that ICAF was full of those kind of moments yes. to me. And I just turn a corner and see something, a surprise, from often from a group of people who I was surprised to find doing it in the first place.
1: Well, the, I think um, the, the last one um, – it takes a, a child to raise a village. It's a wonderful turn on the <laughs> um, <laughs> on the saying that they had uh, acrobats and um, dancers and um, um, sort of um, skilled carnival technique performers of all different ages, little kids working with adult professionals. And there was a sense of defying gravity and defying logic as they were all so seamlessly integrated. Those are the things, those are some things that surprised me. What else? Yes. What
0: is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners about ICAF? I know it was an unusual one because 2020s, first it wasn't going to happen and right. then it did happen and it happened online. And I know they made a, a really interesting and concerted effort to not cancel it, but to take it on and take it, they took up the challenge of making it at an impossibly short notice almost to made it into an online festival that, from what I've gathered, worked and worked really well yes. and kept the whole ICAF community together during the pandemic. The next one will be in three years' time, will it not? Yes. So that's 2025? Uh, three, six, 20 20, six. 20, 26. 26. Yes, I can't do maths. 23 (laughs) plus 3 is 26, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, yes, so 2026 will be the next one. Are you going to be acting as rapporteur for that?
1: Well, I'll wait for the invitation. I know that they all really appreciated what I brought to it, and, and people would stop me in the hallways, sort of clap my hand and say how much they really felt that I saw them. And, and, and we're appreciative of that because I'm not just doing a review and I'm not doing a critical analysis. I'm, I'm trying to find the ways that these make sense within, you know, the bigger picture.
0: Now, one of the things that I know yes. you were talking about was the way in which a rapporteur could be built in from the very planning phases of a project so that the rapporteur was not an add on not a de- a decorative addition at the end of the process, but was there and aware of what was going to be talked about and aware of the structure of the festival, why it was structured like it is, and what choices had let- led it down that road. So if the rapporteur effectively had the whole story at her or his fingertips, rather than just the attending of the festival. Did I understand you correctly when, when I... I know now I've just put a load of words in your mouth. Hmm. Are you happy
1: to have them there? Or would you like to back away swiftly? Well, I'll back away gently. Um, When we spoke about that, my my passion is about having a rapporteur in the works of a community-advised project. Because we're talking, again, very much at the heart of what what Kerry Schaefer is doing. How are the ways in which he would document our work? And the focus is a lot on the sort of the outcome of the document. Is it used to raise money? Is it used to broaden awareness? Is it used to have something for the archives? What I've discovered in the work that I've been doing is that by having the repertoire involved as a member of the ensemble, it adds another layer. People who are working in a group, uh, we get to the points where there's a circle of people contributing what's going on for them. I think for the most part, people are loath to take up a lot of airtime. You know, they're respectful that there are other people there. And so they'll just offer a little piece. When you have a rapporteur who is essentially, in that case, a personal reporter who sets out time for people during lunches or breaks to sit with them and say, tell me what's going on for you. It liberates people in the work to really unload what's going to process Uh, with someone in the way that they process with a counselor or maybe a reporter or a friend and help them make sense of what they're going through and the work that we've done conversations that happen at the beginning are compared to those at the end and there are revelations they realize as 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 our repertoire might read back what they said at the beginning and here they say oh i'd forgotten about that yes look what I've come to understand now. It creates a space for that kind of reflection that's a real, a layer add-on to the work of engaging with making the play and performing the play. It's just sort of solidifies and concretizes the experience of going through this. And I think that's a lot to put on a tour, but I think it really works.
0: Okay, well, how would you see that working at an event like ICAF? You did a very good job as the rapporteur this year. And as you pointed out, your work was very well received and people were very happy that it was taking place. How would you see that role available for development? Or do you see that role as available for development?
1: As just one person, um, as you and Sophie pointed out, there's only so much you can go to see. I was making sacrifices all the time. And so... I imagine that if you had, say, three who could more evenly divide up the work and sort of come back in different parts of it, the the challenge is to not overwhelm readers. um, uh, uh, Amy and Jasmina and and Anna Maria asked if I could limit this to 1,500 words per entry. So it's um, bite-size. Perhaps you know the folks at ICAP, where they they have these uh, books they produced Uh, for each of the festivals, massive books of documentation. I actually have collected them all, but I have hardly read them all. I mean, there's a lot to it. So it's finding the right line between offering up a little flan that you can eat, (laughs) something that you can digest, you know, at the risk of missing some of the other stuff. And again, that's why I'm getting away from reporting and all these things, but trying to speak to what are themes that are coming up? What are the questions? You know, I'm essentially, as um, as a as a, uh, as a um, former grad student, <laughs> I'm coding the festival, saying, you know, what are the what are the what are the what are the elements apart from the narratives, and I'm drawing examples from them. So I actually don't. No, that's a long way around your question. I don't know. It was a lot of work. It took a bit of a chunk out of me to be up from from midnight to three a.m. five nights in a row to write these. So,, uh, there's that, but I would do it again. Um, I think it was really thrilling for me. I love that idea of engaging with material and seeing what's in between the lines, what is connecting us. In fact, the final the the final the header was rhizome. this marvelous word that I came across in grad school. That the network that goes beneath the surface that connects plants or that plants are all connected across. And this idea that here we are across the globe doing our work, how to identify the rhizome, you know, networks that connect us. And I think this is, uh, as far as next ICAF, there's a real interest in building up not uh, something that goes further than every three years we come together, but an ongoing, you know, internet-based network where we can connect to our aunties and cousins and uncles, you know, at will throughout the, throughout the years and really make a a dynamic, uh, ongoing fluid connection between all of those people to really move the work forward. That would require uh,
0: a a small team Mm. of rapporteur, And it would also require
1: uh, a channel. How how can we craft a container that allows people to step in and showcase? their own work because the container exists for them to fill. And there are examples. When I left, I actually passed along to the team in Rotterdam uh, some models in Canada, the International Community, uh, uh, the International Center of Art for Social Change in Vancouver, B.C., Art Bridges in uh, Toronto. There's also Community Arts Network in Europe based in Vienna. There was a Community Arts Network for 11 years in the U.S., and these were all online, these were and are online sort of um, uh, forums for people to archive their work, talk about their work, connect to each other. So there are active models and i uh got some encouragement that the folks at ICAF are going to be looking at those and seeing if they can contribute any, you know, to, to any gaps they find as far as the work that we do it's exciting. And and, uh, one of my first community arts things way back in uh, 1982. uh, It was just after I'd met Arlene Goldbard, young Arlene Goldbard. young (laughs) I worked on a book called We Are Strong, a guide to the work of popular theaters across the Americas. It's one of the, I think the first guidebook of community engaged popular theaters. And it was a printed catalog. And now we have the freedom to have this on live real time you know multimodal systems for connecting with each other
0: i agree i agree indeed and i think what we need to do is to find ways of building those so that they do tell stories leaving the agency with the people whose stories are being told but don't just dissolve into gossip and oh, anecdote yeah. and that's i think what we have to avoid but by the look of it by the sound of it what you've been doing at ICAF and ICAF itself has been a, a pretty
1: good step
0: in this direction.
1: I think so. I'm so, so honored to be part of that family. Uh, Eugene said to me on the last day that he considered I was part of the furniture of the place. And I took that as high <laughs> praise indeed.
0: I, I, I will think of you as a sofa or should I think of you as a dress? <laughs> All right. On that note, Will, thanks very much for chatting to us and speak to you again soon. I
1: hope so. Thank you.
0: Now that you've heard the podcast, you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The website's at meow.net. That's M-I-A-W dot net. See you there.